There are all sorts of security measures out there to protect us in our lives, but perhaps some of the most important are things we wouldn't even have thought about 20 years ago. I'm talking about cybersecurity and cyber warfare. And certainly in healthcare, this is a growing concern for many of us as we turn to electronic medical records. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian McDonough, and welcome to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. Today we have a very special guest, Scott Schober, who's the CEO of Berkeley Baritronic Systems, and he is a person who has essentially, I guess, dedicated his career to dealing with cyber attacks and trying to protect people from these cyber attacks. He has a new book, Hacked Again, It Can Happen to Anyone. So as a cybersecurity expert, it's an excellent program for us to talk about how it will impact healthcare and in general our own lives. So first of all, Scott, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me on. Great to be here. My first question, um, it really has turned into a major issue. I would say, you know, a decade ago, probably most people wouldn't even have worried about it, but you almost can't go a week or two without a major, some sort of major thing, whether it's Target or one of these large companies or a bank or, or even a healthcare organization uh, having some cyber attacks. Yeah, the, the, the problem has really picked up pace in the last couple of years, as you said. And, and the sad part is, it seems to be getting worse. It, it is a regular weekly occurrence with a major headline. And, and in between all those big headlines of the major breaches, and we're talking the, the Targets, the Home Depots, the, the Anthems, the J.P. Morgans, there are literally hundreds if not thousands of other smaller breaches that affect everybody from small businesses, lawyers, uh, doctor's offices, dentist offices, you name it, across the whole gamut. So I think cybersecurity, unfortunately, is becoming part of our daily lives, keeping our personal data safe and keeping our company's data safe at the same time. You know, and I hate to be a cynic, but, you know, being involved in healthcare and just kind of knowing that, you know, many of the tools that we're using, whether it's in the ambulatory settings or inpatient settings, they're kind of primitive compared to a lot of other uh, areas in the business world. I mean, you, you can log on to your bank and all sorts of things, and it's quick and it's easy. You can, uh, you know, your kids can play video games and play against people from all over the world. And yet, in medicine, we're kind of lagging behind. And and my question is, as they try to move forward, we do have a lot of people with their health records out there, and you know, supposedly in the cloud, supposedly in this system or that system. I, I gotta believe there's some risk. Oh, sure. There is tremendous risk. And when we think about any industry migrating to basically digital, ones and zeros, and that's really the essence of, uh, of all our personal data, there, there is a, an, an inherited risk that, that comes about with it. And, and oftentimes, even when you think about the medical community, where they were and where they're going now, has certainly changed. A lot of things are documented in forms and photocopies and multiple files and things like that. Now it's becoming more digital. You have to ask, where does that repository of digital information reside? You mentioned the cloud. And often that's where it is. And what is the cloud? Really the cloud is a remote server storing your data. So it's in another spot. It could be within a hospital or more likely in the cloud. It's it's some remote data center, and then there's going to be redundancy often in another country. So your data is in multiple spots, and, and that's good and that's secure if it's carefully monitored, encrypted, watched. But it's bad if hackers find a way to, to get in there and start compromising it. And that's, that's the part often that's the unknown 
and of greatest concern when there's these large repositories of data and somebody gets their hand in it or the wrong person gets their hand in it. And and it happens, unfortunately, too often, even with stringent requirements that are in place. But what can you do to protect yourself as an individual or as a company, as a practice? I mean, are there, are there certain, first of all, stupid things we do that you recommend that we avoid and then maybe getting a little more detailed if there's other things, other ways to help? Yeah, great, great question. There are a lot of things that we can do. No, number one, it always goes back to the thing everybody hates to hear about is passwords. It sounds silly. It sounds ridiculous. Everybody goes, yeah, 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 strong passwords, important. That being said, every time I present, in fact, I'm on my way down to Virginia to a Virginia uh, cybersecurity event, and one of the things I'm going to bring up is passwords. And these are cybersecurity experts and experts within the government organizations and the military, and often they're the biggest offenders. They laugh about it, but then you ask them, and more than half the people have extremely weak passwords, easy-to-hack passwords, so we've got to make sure our passwords are strong. Twelve characters or more, numbers, uppercase, lowercase, and symbols. Basically, something that's random and has absolutely no tie to you as an individual or an organization. Passwords should never compromise a word that's in a common dictionary. It should never have anything to do with your company, your organization, your birthday, your pet's name, any of those things. And, and the, really the more important question is why? Because there's automated tools that are used for hacking passwords. So what that means is somebody wants to hack your password, they're going to go out on social media and gather all the information they can about you, your employment, the company, and take all of those different terms, words, and combinations, and they'll put it through this password hacking program, and they may be able to run about a million passwords in about three seconds. So imagine all those combos. Eventually, they're going to hack your password if you're using something that's fairly simple and routine. That's number one thing that we can actually control then. Hard to remember. you got to write it down, keep it in a secure place. Most important thing. The second part of that that's extremely important, and this is the big, biggest mishap that most people will admit to, and I'm sure your listeners can appreciate this and take it to heart, do they reuse their passwords anywhere else? So if you have a, a password, you access your Facebook account. Is that same password or any part of that password reused on any of the other 50 passwords that you have to access data, be it a banking account, healthcare access, when you get to work, whatever the case may be, to get on the system? If that is, that's a serious no-no because, again, once a password is compromised, a hacker will take that and use it across, and this is all automated, across all different common websites. They'll go to all the top banks and try that password with your username, your name, and then that password, and so on and so forth, to hack into multiple accounts. That's how come data is so, so powerful when a hack and a breach occurs and every time they compromise these passwords, they're selling them, and there's basically a master password database that cyber hackers will use. They'll buy it, they'll use it, and they'll try all these passwords that keep getting compromised because many people will keep reusing them. So a big question here then. I mean, I know that, for instance, I have, as you agree, probably 20, 30, 40 passwords. I have them yeah. written down, but because you want to check things periodically – you like to have it in your mind, so you think of something that, as you say, is common and easy to remember. 
And not only that, you have to constantly update them and update them. And it's hard to consistently update because you forget where you put the passwords. So how do you tell people the best way to organize their passwords? Because I think that's a big issue as well. A lot of people, they go, oh, my gosh, I don't even remember that password for, I don't know, that hotel um, or airline miles program or whatever. Great point. What, what I do, and it is painstaking, and I do have well over 50 passwords, I will say. I have a black book that I literally write them down. I rotate, change them regularly. They're long, they're strong, they're obscure. And everything I always describe to people when I present is layers of security. And most people get that if their house has ever been robbed. We lock the front door, not just with a little twist lock, but a big fat deadbolt. We have a camera. Uh, We have alarm stickers. We have, uh, you know, layers of security to make it hard for a robber to get in the house, really more as what? A deterrent. And the same thing is true with passwords. It's important to have layers of security to make it hard to get in and hard to steal them. So if we write it down on a sticky note, somebody's going to easily read that part of that and and hack and compromise us. So we want to make sure that we have these layers in place. You can use a password manager. They are effective. There is a downside. If you ever do lose your master password, share your master password, someone sees it on a sticky note, then they get the keys to the kingdom, which gives them access to all of your passwords. So you got to be careful there. So there's, there's programs like LastPass, Dashlane. There's a whole series of password management programs that you can look at and consider. They're very affordable. They're fairly easy to use. you just got to make one strong, long master password. That's the key, that you don't ever let anyone ever see that. And, and how do you remember it? Oftentimes they'll say, use a passphrase. Maybe it's a, a, a familiar sentence that you can remember in your head or a line of a song and take the first letter or the last letter of each of those words, alternate uppercase, lowercase, then you throw in a few numbers and a couple symbols, and that's your secret way that you create a password, and that's easy to remember. So little tricks like that will help keep it in our mind and not let us get our passwords compromised. That's really the main area of weakness. When you look back at all of the breaches again and again, somebody had to have access, be it a a point-of-sale terminal to place malware, if they had to break into J.P. Morgan, third-party access, insider gets a a password, boom, they place uh, malware onto the, uh, the computer networks, and then start hacking away. So passwords, passwords, passwords. You can never have too strong of passwords. I always emphasize that to people. A good exercise, I've tried to even um, hack into for just for fun and teaching purposes people's accounts to show them how weak their passwords are. I'm not doing it for monetary gain or anything else, just to show them to send a message. And I've been very successful doing it. I'm just an average guy that understands cybersecurity. So if I could do it, imagine somebody, that's their full-time job in their pajamas in the basement. They're hacking people, and they have automated tools to really make their job easy. So make their job difficult, create that long and strong password, no matter how annoying and hard it is to remember. I hope people are listening because this is excellent advice. Our guest is Scott Schober, CEO of Berkeley Veritronic Systems. He has a new book, Hacked Again, It Can Happen to Anyone. And I do want to ask you a little bit about healthcare. We only have a 15-minute program. We used up a lot of important time on a very important topic. But what about um, 
let's say healthcare systems. I know, uh, for instance, physicians may get upset because they want to check into their electronic medical records from their office, and they find that the hospital or the organization is making them check in with a password, and then they do like a double verification, and they have to do another password, and they're like, I don't have time for this. I only, you know, it's enough time seeing patients. I can't do this 10 times a day. That sort of uh, extra step, I, I guess it's been shown to be very valuable in protecting patient records. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You hit the nail on the head. It's just what I was talking about before. Layers of security, often multi-factor authentication, two-factor authentication is an extra step. It may be at the time of your login, username, your password, and then they will text you a one-time number, maybe six digits, for example, that you have to enter, and after 30 seconds, that number disappears. That's an additional layer of security, very effective. And, and that's free when you're using Apple products, you're using Google Mail, Yahoo, all these other free mails. Use that two-factor authentication, especially in the case you, you indicated, a physician, which is remote accessing computer networks, whereas oftentimes where a hacker will try to plant this malicious software from remote access and make the compromise there. So if you have that added layer, two-factor, multi-factor authentication, makes it harder. The other area is the security challenge questions. No matter what you do, don't answer them honestly. That's a big mistake people make. What high school did you attend? Don't tell them your high school. That's your opportunity to put a password in there, something unique that you only know. Uh-oh. I could find out <laughs> I know I've done that one wrong. 30 right. seconds. I can go yeah. on and find out what high school you attended. And you, you picked a really good one because you're right. You know, what was your first car, your first pet, your this, that? Exactly. And, and, and they're the yep. ones you try to pick because they're easy to remember. Sure, sure, absolutely. But, so you got to outguess them. And I guess one last question. We only have about a minute. Sure. Um, I asked you tons of things. What didn't I ask you that I really should have and that you want to share with our audience? Um, I always warn people, be careful how much information you put out there. I share the example. Um, I went to just the doctor's office, sinus infection, and they told me, um, fill out this paperwork here. It's been a month or two since you've been here. And at the bottom, they said, give me your Social Security number. Hmm, Why? I'm not going to give you that. They said, well, we can't treat you unless you do. There's an instance in the medical community, there's a lot of misunderstanding. They can't deny treatment of a patient by not providing the Social Security number. If you're going out for uh, applying for health care, yes, you've got to provide your, your Social Security number. If you're just getting basic treatment at a doctor's office, it's not a requirement. I, I, I held back a little bit and pushed, and then they said, yeah, you're right. We just found out we're not required. We will see you. Why do they ask you for that? The real reason is, when it goes to collections, when they have your Social Security number, it's much easier to collect from an individual than when you don't have the person's Social Security number. So basically what I'm saying is don't put out too much information if you don't have to. It's okay to question things. It's okay to keep your personal information private. And those little simple things will keep you much safer from identity theft, medical fraud, uh, all these different compromise and breaches. You won't be part of them then. Scott, thanks again for joining us. Thanks for having me on and encourage everybody to stay safe. This is Dr. Brian McDonough. If you missed any of this discussion, please visit reachmd.com slash primary care today. You can download the podcast. You can learn more about the series. Thank you for listening and being a part of the knowledge.